Good afternoon, Memorial Baptist friends and family, and welcome back to our midweek edition of our podcast for September 2nd, 2020. I hope you're having a great week. Man, oh man, thank you, Lord, for the rain that came last night. Actually, I think it started around 12.15 this morning, but it really came uh, a good soaking rain. You know, God is so good, and He sends us exactly what we need uh, when we need it. Psalm 145, verse 3 says, Great is the Lord, and highly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. Now, how blessed we are as the people whose God is the Lord. You know, we enjoyed a tremendous worship time together this past Sunday morning, and uh, I thoroughly relish our time together. I anxiously await the time when we can all be together again. Uh, We had many new college students come and attend our worship, and what a great sight to see all these students wanting to come and honor God by by worshiping Him. You know, uh, Braden Tanner is doing a great job uh, leading those students. Um in our college ministry, and, and uh, they've started meeting on campus in uh, challenge groups. And uh, last week, one of the challenge groups had 24 students show up. And uh, thank you, Lord, for drawing college students to yourself. And what a blessing it is to, to see that going on. I know a lot of our senior adults have been sheltering in and, and have been uh, kind of just laying low for a while. So, uh, I just want to get their attention, if I might. Attention all senior adults. We're going to begin an ongoing Sunday school class in the fellowship hall uh, for our senior adults. Something for y'all. And um, beginning September 20th, uh, from 9.30 to 10.30, uh, meeting in the fellowship hall this uh, senior adult Sunday school hour will be for those maybe who haven't been able to get out and worship with us. Um Brother John Webb will be facilitating, teaching our Bible study time together. So I encourage you to mask up and come on out to the Fellowship Hall on Sunday morning, uh, September 20th. And uh, we will be social distancing, but uh, you should be able to see some friends and catch up a little bit. And uh, we'll be wearing masks and social distance. We'll have hand sanitizer available. So we're going to do everything we can to be cautious and uh, safe. But uh, we do think it's uh, time to do something together. And so uh, we'll uh, be planning towards that. You know, as I've said before, uh, if you have questions or concerns, please call us. Um, We're trying to uh, reopen and get things going back. And and really uh, what we would like to do is once we uh, are able and feel safe to start back with Sunday school, uh, Sunday school is going to look a little different. And um, we're hoping that uh, uh, we can make Sunday school just a, a Bible teaching time, a uh, little larger classes, a uh, little, little more, um, uh, rather than just splitting everybody up and sending them all into these little rooms. Uh, but we could have uh, one teacher for the senior adults, one for the median adults, and one for the younger adults. And um, so we're, we're looking at... Um, kind of reinventing, re- resetting, if you will, um, Sunday school. It'll look a little different than it has in the past. Um, but I think it will be encouraging for everybody that uh, comes out for that. We don't have a date yet for these other classes. We're going to start with the seniors, 
and we'll see how that goes. And uh, maybe a couple more weeks after that, we'll have some of these other classes going on Sunday mornings. But uh, hopefully we'll also be able to add some Wednesday evening activities for the children. And so we'll see what's uh, what God has for us. But we're going to take it slow and cautious and, and uh, see how we can do this. But uh, keep praying for us. And if you have questions, please call us. I know this isn't easy for any of us. So uh, we're trying to keep our people and the most vulnerable ones safe as we open up slowly. Uh, again, if you have questions, please call us. Uh, Each one of us should uh, assess our risk individually and in relation to our own families. Um, Please exercise the freedom and good sense to do what you need to do, extending grace to others as they do the same thing. So um, this this afternoon, before we look at our scripture passage, um, I would like for us to pray together. And um, uh, if you would pray with me uh, while I lead us in prayer, um, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Uh, Loving Father, we thank you for this time, and I thank you, Father, that you are on your throne. I thank you that your mercies are new every day, and that uh, you love us so very much. Father, you are a good, good God, and we're so blessed to call you our Lord and Savior. So I ask that you would guide us as we study your word. I pray that you would be with each one uh, right now as we listen in. As we, uh, Father, I just want to lift up our homebound to you right now. Father, those that maybe have not been able to get out and um, are just tired of of being in. So I ask that you would just uh, minister to them in a special way. Uh, Father, I lift up those who are suffering from COVID. I pray that you would uh, bring healing to their bodies. I pray, Father, that you would uh, push back the darkness. I pray for our frontline workers. I pray for all the nurses and doctors that are taking care of sick people, and I pray that you would bless them. Father, I pray that you would help us to uh, to get through this, and, and Father, that, that you would just preserve uh, lives. Uh, Father, I pray for our uh, teachers who are uh, back in school, and uh, I ask that you would be with them and the students, and the, even the administrators, Father, that you would just... Uh, Give them wisdom, Father, in in what to do and how to do it. I pray, Father, that you would just give them um, your patience, that, that, Father, you would show them uh, ways that they could uh, teach meaningfully, uh, these students. And I pray, Father, that you would just protect them and, and guide them. Father, I lift up our military all around the world that is uh, protecting the freedoms that we enjoy. And I ask, Father, that you would just... Uh, be with them as they uh, serve, whether they're on a ship or whether they're in an installation, uh, whether they're out in, in the field, whatever they may be doing right now, Father, I pray that you would just protect them and guide them. And Father, we're thankful for uh, a military that is able to protect us. Um, Father, I lift up also our, our police uh, around the, the, the nation. I pray, Father, that you would be with them in a special way, that you would give them insights and protect them, uh, be with our first responders. I ask, Father, that you would just um, continue to show yourself mighty. Uh, Father, how we need um, policemen and women helping us, uh, guiding us and protecting us. So I ask, Father, that you would do that 
for your glory. Lord, I lift up our church. I lift up the ministries of our church. I thank you for ministries like Feed My Sheep that uh, help uh, alleviate hunger. Uh, I pray, Father, that you would just help us to continue to support and pray for our missionaries that are out there just um, sharing the gospel and, and impacting lives for Christ. I pray, Father, that you would be with Maisha Kamili. I pray that you would be with the Morogoro School in Tanzania. I pray, Father, that you would be with the, the mission churches in, in Bell County. Um, Father, I just want to lift up our, our Mary Hill Davis offering to you. We've set a goal of $4,020, and I pray, Father, that you would just put it on people's hearts to give to Texas Missions. Father, I want to lift up those that are serving through Texas Baptist men, uh, maybe in um, uh, hurricane-ravaged areas like Orange, um, down by the Louisiana border. I pray, Father, that you would be with the teams that are down there working. I pray that you would be with the survivors uh, of these hurricanes, that you would just help them to get situated and back on their feet uh, Father, it seems like it's just one thing and then another. We've had a crazy year. But God, you are the one in control. And I pray that you would just uh, bring your people uh, to our knees, that there would be a great repentance um, that comes across this nation. Father, recognizing uh, how far we have fallen um, in our depravity. But Father, that you would be glorified. I ask, Father, that you would bring a great awakening, uh, a sweeping revival like we haven't seen in in this generation. Father, I know you've done it in the past, and and surely you could do it again. And Father, we ask, doubting nothing, knowing that you are more than able uh, to do beyond what we could think or, or imagine. Thank you so much for the rain, Father. Thank you for your uh, glorious provision for us. Thank you for protecting us and guiding us. I ask, Holy Spirit, that even now you would um, inhabit your word and uh, draw us close to you as we study it. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for the body of Christ. And uh, I pray for all those who are incarcerated. I pray that you would um, just minister to them. May they sense your presence in a very special way. God, we love you. We thank you for being our God. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verses 11 uh, through 18, just wrapping up this passage. And um, we're going to read that in just a moment. But um, I don't know, you probably have heard of Sir Arthur uh, Conan Doyle, you know, the author of uh, Sherlock Holmes. Uh, the the detective novels. Well, he was a, a very practical joker, and I I don't know if you've heard this story before or not. But one time he <laughs> he sent a telegram uh, to twelve famous people in London uh, whom he knew, and it read, "Flee at once! All di- is discovered." <laughs> and although all twelve were upright citizens. <laughs> They all quickly left the country. <laughs> oh, can you imagine? I don't know if that story is uh, 
Absolutely true. It may be fictitious, I don't know, but it illustrates the fact that a guilty conscience is is a common thing. Even in the church, many people are uncertain about their standing before God because of past sins. See, these these ghosts from the past, they they stay out of sight for a while, but then they come out of nowhere to, to haunt these people. And they wonder if anyone else knows what they've done. They're fearful that the the truth may leak out. But even more seriously, they wonder if God has truly forgiven them. They're not sure how it will go when they stand before Him someday. Will God punish them in this life or in eternity for the terrible things that they've done? See, these people, they need the assurance that our text hammers home today. Let's read in in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 through 18. It says this. It says, Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But he, meaning Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward, until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their hearts, and upon their mind I will write them. Then he says, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. Wow. Great passage. See, through Christ's obedience to God's will at the cross, New Covenant believers receive what those under the law could not receive. Total forgiveness. See, the the totality of our forgiveness is illustrated by the contrast between the unfinished, repetitive ministry of the Old Testament priests and the finished, sufficient sacrifice of Jesus Christ. See, in verses 11 through 14, that's what he's he's talking about here, the, the author of Hebrews. Verse 11 you know, it kind of portrays the, the priest who stood daily offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. You can feel a sense of futility in these words. But verse 12 contrasts the one sacrifice for sins for all time that Jesus offered after, he, after which he sat down at the right hand of God. You see, these standing priests, they, they indicate the unfinished work. They're standing up, they're, they're slaughtering these, these animals and the blood and putting the blood there so that for the, the covering for the sins and it's unfinished work that is never done. I mean, there's no chairs in the, in the tabernacle. There were no chairs in the, in, the, in the holy place. See, the sitting of Jesus indicates that His work of sacrifice is finished. 
Hallelujah. And that he's been exalted to the place of supreme honor. See, the guarantee to Christ and to us that his death alone is acceptable to forgive sins was that God raised him from the dead and he ascended into heaven where he reigns at God's mighty right hand. Oh, Christ has substituted for sin and sinners. Christ has shed his blood that people might be saved. Christ has sacrificed himself that God's people might be saved. Who are God's people? Any and all who truly believe that Jesus Christ died for their sins. See, the author could have ended the quote from Psalms 110, verse 1, after the reference to Jesus is sitting at God's right hand. But then he adds in verse 13, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. See, I, I kind of believe that maybe he did this for, for a couple of reasons. I mean, first, he didn't want the, his readers to, uh, to grow discouraged because of the cross as if it represented, a, you know, a, a defeat for God in some way. You know, maybe their unbelieving Jewish friends were taunting them for their belief in a crucified Messiah. If Jesus is really Lord, then why do his people suffer persecution and martyrdom? Why did Jesus get killed on the cross? See, the author says, just wait, <laughs> just wait. The day is coming when Jesus' enemies will all become his footstool. Just as it says in Psalm 110. Psalm 110 predicts it. It's prophecy. Jesus fulfills the prophecy. Second reason might be that the author may be given a subtle warning to the readers. You know, if they abandoned the faith and went back to Judaism, they would be placing themselves on the losing side of history. They'd be making themselves enemies of Jesus. And that's not where you want to be, because Jesus' enemies are headed for certain defeat and even judgment. Christ reigns because he has a position on God's right hand in a place of sovereign power. He presently rules with his Father, but the day is coming when Christ shall again leave heaven and come to earth in his second advent, the second coming, to destroy his enemies and set up his kingdom. I read the rest of the book. I know how it ends. Christ is anxiously anticipating his return at the Father's appointed hour. See, those who reject Christ are his enemies, and all Christ's enemies will be judged without partiality. Now, in verse 14, 
the author again repeats the effect of Jesus' one offering. He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. See, this verse brings together two vital truths. First, it, it talks about and brings together the, the position of believers before God. The, the position of believers before God is that they are perfect. God has forgiven all their sins through Christ's sacrifice. And He's imputed Christ's perfect righteousness to them. See, these great facts are the basis of our standing before God, our position. Second, the practice of believers is that they are being sanctified. They're growing in holiness, in thought, in word, and in deed. See, the position is granted instantly at the moment of saving faith. Christ's righteousness is imputed to us, and positionally, positionally, we are perfect before Almighty God. The practice is worked out over a lifetime of growth in obedience. If there's no growth in holiness, there's reason to question whether the person has been perfected in his position through faith. In Christ. See, the author wraps up this section with a supporting quote. It says, And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us, to us. <laughs> For after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws upon their heart and on their mind. I will write them. He then says, and their deeds and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Oh, how precious this promise is. See, the Old Testament prophecy of the new covenant supports the totality of our forgiveness. Note that the author attributes Jeremiah's prophecy to the Holy Spirit, who inspires all Scripture. And the writer paraphrases, maybe from memory, what he had earlier cited in chapter 8, uh, verse 11 and 12. Quoted from Jeremiah 31, verse 33 and 34, because this quote gives God's own testimony to what the author has been saying. God promises to put his law upon his people's hearts and to write them on their minds. The author may have cited this part of the new covenant promise to preempt any criticism from a Jewish reader to the effect that the setting aside of the law would lead to lawless living. Not so. God's people are marked by obedience from the heart. 
Then he adds the part of the new covenant that is directly to his point. And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. (laughs) God's not remembering our sin does not mean that he is forgetful, but rather that he will not bring up our sins against us for judgment. They are totally forgiven because of God's covenant decree. And so the conclusion is now where there is forgiveness of these things, there's no longer any offering for sin. These words conclude the doctrinal portion of the book of Hebrews. And the argument is convincing and irrefutable. Christ's death is complete and final. The Old Testament sacrifices are now rendered worthless and obsolete. All the uh, purposes of an atonement are met in Jesus Christ. What they pointed to Jesus has completely fulfilled. There is no more need for the shedding of one drop of blood, nor the death of one more single lamb. The death of Christ is adequate for the total history of humanity for all eternity. Through the cross, believers under the new covenant receive God's total forgiveness. If you have total forgiveness in Christ, why would you go back to a system that could never provide that? Think about it. Sins are atoned for once and for all by the one offering of Christ. Sins have been taken away forever by Christ. His death is complete, final, and effective, and there is no more offering for sins. It's done, completed, over with for all eternity. Now, I want to share something with you. And I love our our Roman Catholic friends, brothers and sisters. But if the Roman Catholic Church and the Orthodox churches would accept the message of our text, they would do away with the doctrine of purgatory, which is not in the Bible anyway. Purgatory is supposed to be a place where, after death, our remaining sins are purged away. Supposedly, the friends and loved ones of the deceased person can pay to have masses or prayers said on their behalf to shorten their time in purgatory. What a blatant denial of the gospel of God's grace in Jesus Christ. If His death places us in perfect standing with God, purgatory is a lie. Our text also eliminates the practice of penance. Not to be confused with penitence, which is a 
synonym for repentance. Penance is the Catholic teaching that certain good deeds prescribed by the church will make satisfaction for sins and so lessen time, someone's time in purgatory. Sometimes this is coupled with what they call indulges, excuse me, indulgences, which supposedly remove the guilt or the punishment of temporal sins. Listen, all of these unbiblical practices detract from the total merit of Christ's sacrificial death for us. His death obtained total forgiveness for believers. His death perfected us for all time. His death sanctified us once for all. His death completely takes away the guilt of our sins. To believe in purgatory and to practice penance and indulgences is like going back to the Jewish sacrificial system. It's a works-based theology. Imagine with me for just a moment a young man who falls in love. But he and his lover are separated by distance. He has a beautiful photograph of her that he looks at every day. Finally, the two get married. The photo is still there, but now he has her, the real deal. But then one day, he starts behaving rather strangely. He stands before his wife, clutching the photo to his chest. He tells her, I've really missed your photo. So I'm going to go back to it. He passionately kisses the picture and goes out the door mumbling, Oh, how I love you, dear photo. You're everything to me. See, we would rightly conclude that this guy's dipstick reads a court low. He's off his rocker. Something happened. But that guy's weird behavior illustrates what people do when they abandon Christ for the shadow. Christ and His sufficient sacrifice on the cross provide total forgiveness for all of our sins. See, any religious system that devises human works to atone for sins is only a mere shadow. Because Jesus Christ is the real deal. Trust in Christ alone, and God bestows on you, by grace alone, His total forgiveness. Hallelujah. You know, how many times 
I don't know how many times people have said to me things like, you know, I've prayed again and again that Jesus would come into my life and save me. This is a wrong understanding. For you can receive Christ only once for salvation. Just in the same way Christ died only once for your sins. See, we need to stop asking and start believing in Christ's once for all and forever sacrifice for sins. If we have once appropriated by faith Christ's death for sin, then we must not keep asking Him to forgive us, but to thank Him that He has died for us. Oh, our position in Christ is that we are saints. Saved by grace. You know, as we will continue on next week in chapter 10, verses 19 and following, it really is a turn in the book of Hebrews from doctrine to more application and practice. And so as I look forward to that, I just want to thank you so much today for tuning in. You know, next week we're going to continue in our study of Hebrews. And until we get to see each other, I just want to tell you to stay stay safe, uh, practice good hygiene, stay studied up in God's Word, eat well, and don't forget to get some exercise. Whatever you do, give God all the praise and glory and honor that is due His name. You know, we hope to see all of you really soon. I just can't wait. I'm excited about getting back and seeing everybody and worshiping together and being able to do the things that we love and enjoy as believers in Jesus Christ. Thank you for tuning in today, and God bless you.